I'm just waiting for YouTube to do what YouTube does is send these late notifications. I'm, man, I'm telling you. Yeah, the analytics. It's it's a it's a pain. It's a pain. It's all part of a, a scheme. Yeah. Yeah. A bigger scheme that's you know. channel and just start posting your uh your link okay yeah okay there we go okay brother brother congo you 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 are described as the tony montana of cmos <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty lofty title to live up to. Um, if you don't mind, please um, give us a uh, background. How did you come to where you are now? Uh, what got you into it? Uh, is this a family tradition? Or have you always been invested into, into health and nutrition and health and wellness? Yes, good evening. Thank you very much. First off, I'd like to say my name is Robert Diaz. For those who don't know me, a.k.a. Congo via social media. And uh, some people also know me as Tony Montana of the CMOS. But uh, I've been part of nature uh, ever since a very young child. It started for me, really honestly, in my grandparents' garden back in New Jersey. Being able to connect with nature, I found at a very early age what we consider sacred space in nature, places where we can go and connect with the elements and be happy, right, with oneself and peace and harmony. And for me, this is where that sacred space was in my in my grandparents' garden. Uh, we grew a lot of our own food. We grew a good amount of produce for the neighborhood. Uh, we were part of a community garden. Uh, my father's side, paternal side, goes back to the Virgin Islands. Uh, spent a little time there. Same lifestyle, being able to grow our own. Granny was a herbalist herself, or as we would say, a bushwoman, and utilized a lot of various uh, local medicinal herbs, if you will, just for every day, uh, medicinal or culinary use, if you will. Uh, fast forward a little, grew up coming out of the city. Like I said, I was always fascinated with nature, gardening, spent some time in Rutgers University, extended uh, co-op programs doing agricultural research, not for college, but just as an extracurricular activity. Um, got discharged out of the United States Marine Corps honorably and uh, quickly started a family, as most men do. And uh, initially, when my son was born, I began to see some things that caused my thought process to change about nutrition, diet, lifestyle. And it was uh, childhood eczema, or basically baby eczema, as you will, which is very common now and arrives 90%. And, uh, you know, going to conventional therapy and conventional uh, pediatricians for care, which is very, very high level interventions that I didn't agree with, neither did mom. So uh, we quickly began to look for alternatives. And that started my quest to go into deep research to understand what it was I could do as a father for my child uh, using a naturopathic measure or a very, very low level alternative therapy while letting the body do what it was supposed to do. But a lot of it came around struggle, learning, uh, being able to dig deep and taking the alternative approach and disseminate what that really meant me and family and lifestyle well let me ask you this because I, I i watch these movies where the the, the father the mother the kid is suffering from some crazy ailment and they spend goo gobs of years looking for the cure or, or, or anything like that how long was your journey when you just when you decided to say okay the eczema is an, is an issue how long how many years did you spend a lot of money did you get railroaded by medical professionals um, did they make your job harder to find a, a cure as opposed to just treating the ailment itself so the journey total, I would say, was less than two years, but it came through extreme dedication, a lot of research and trial and error that resulted in dietary change, that resulted in 
uh, using some alternative therapies like breast milk rather than infant formula that resulted in changing the process of washing on the skin. The uh, pediatrician was not in favor of not doing what the specialist recommended, which was the uh, dermatologist. Mm -hmm. Uh, the dermatologist wanted to take a newborn and start laser therapy treatment for cases of atopic dermatitis, as we know. Excellent. Um, so fast forward a little bit. I study currently Chinese medicine now. And when we see conditions uh, on surface of the skin or a protective layer of the body, we consider this inflammation in Western medicine. But this is usually something in the liver. We say manifested as toxic heat. And usually the liver will manifest that energy through the surface of the skin. So on the journey, using different therapies within two years, we were able to go for about six months using the naturopathic modalities, different processes and different um, lifestyle interventions in about six months time frame continuously after about a year and a half to see, okay, there, there is no rash, there is no outbreak, the symptoms the itching, the swelling, the inflammation, uh, the colic, and everything else that was associated with the underlying cause of all the uh, environmental toxins that were being flooded into this newborn liver were being removed, and then the body was being restored and built and protected from a preventative measure. So is it, are you of the uh, understanding that, would you say that most newborns should have some type of regiment to prevent the colic, the eczema, or is that just a case by case study with your with your son, or that is that something you say? Okay, you know what? Most melanated children should have a certain regimen of something to prevent these known childhood issues that we kind of get accustomed to, and we kind of tend tend to, tend to think, well, that's just them being a, a newborn per se. Well, in practice, it's case by case. Okay, uh, for me, it was just a result of. Already having, I, I was in a vegetarian lifestyle for about seven years okay. um, before I decided to get into anything health from a nutritional perspective or even just in collegiate level studies. But in clinical situation, when I go and look at numbers and I look at the last decade, um, we're at a 30% increase, 30 to 90% increase on cases of inflammatory illness at birth, and that's usually chronic atopic dermatitis, um, all kind of skin disease or illness, if you will. And a lot of this, um, again, depending upon belief system, when we talk alternative, is manifestation, something that is usually resulted in the child's liver, but not necessarily that the liver of the child has some concern, but it was constitutional. So this developed in the womb and it could have been passed on from the father or the mother and now that uh, disharmony if you will is manifested in this new newborn physical body okay cool how much um do you believe the medical community could um i guess help thwart this help uh, keep, contain it or prevent it from being an issue like you said it's case by case but you know could the average couple go to their doctor their pediatrician and say hey we think it's this because of that. And how much uh, of an issue would their pediatrician give them? As a, You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, when you say natural healing, they're like, oh, you get that. You get the, you get the humana humana. So um, is, is the medical community a, a direct obstacle or almost a direct roadblock into more of a natural healing for, for, uh, for infant children, for newborns? Yeah, so the, the general answer, straightforward, is yes. When we talk general healthcare, allopathic, um, pediatrician, medical doctor, their standard, their board, their teaching process is based on science and what they can see under the microscope. So there's an illness association with some symptom. Uh, they're not really looking at it, what we call an alternative perspective, which would be naturopathic, um, homeopathic, Chinese medicine, they're not looking at what we call underlying cause. So it's like the tree, right? And it has branches and we see the fruit and we say this fruit is rotten, but we don't realize that there's some fungal infection in the root system that's causing that rotten. So conventional medicine is designed to diagnose. The medical doctor is licensed to diagnose 
based off of the symptoms that you describe. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, we can go into the Merck. We can go into the clinical trials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds right. And, and make a diagnosis. And then that warrants the use of a high-level intervention we call pharmaceutical drug or surgery. There's no room for anything natural unless you're in a state where you have licensed naturopathic doctors, which are board certified. So there's a big difference between um, naturopath practitioners and natural licensed naturopathic doctors, which are NDs. They have the same equivalency as MD, same residency with an extra two years of what we consider naturopathic medicine or alter- alternative medicine. And they have the ability to look at a situation from the underlying cause and say, okay, yeah, I see this condition here. We see the irritation on the skin, but what's going on with that child's liver? What, what are you feeding that child? What is the environment? What is the clothing material? What environmental toxins are being exposed that may cause irritation? So we're looking at it from a holistic, a whole approach rather than the allopathic approach, which is just one multidimensional Hey, let me see the symptoms in here. Something to deal with. Yeah. Okay. Before we get into the crux of, of tonight's topic, um, financially, is it not profitable to take the homeopathic, the holistic route for for uh, Western medicine per se? Is that part of the motivation as to why they kind of shun the natural way, or say like Chinese medicine? Uh, it's. It's been competition that goes back to the 20s with ADA, excuse me, AMA, American Medical Association, FDA, and Rockefeller. Um, we originally were the original medicine, nature's care and naturopathy. There is a big battle based on the state levels where I think it's now recognized. So it's not a question of money that, hey, naturopathic medicine is, or alternative medicine is going to compete with allopathic medicine and take away from insurance. I think that idea is recognized now. The idea is now integration, um, what we call functional medicine. And you'll see, and this is something really to pay attention to when we're looking for alternative practitioners because it will be on the rise. You know, um, regular physicians who are doing maybe 300 hours in what they call dry needling technique and getting the equivalency of what an acupuncturist spends 3,500 clinical hours doing for four years to say they can go and stick a needle in someone. And what happens is is you don't get that same healing effect from the alternative because they're just using technique and not applying the mind-body-spirit healing protocol. So the current Western practitioners, they understand they're actually taking continuing education unit courses in a lot of these um, naturopathic courses, like you know, alternative medicine, essential oil therapy, uh, massage therapy. Um, you know, it's just endless, endless, endless sound vibrational healing, you know, mind body intervention, and they're beginning to incorporate this as integrative medicine, functional medicine, and it's starting to pop up everywhere because. Now, the insurance companies have billing codes that allow them to build those type of things. Other than that, like here in the state of Florida, acupuncturist has to question whether they're going to get paid. It's a licensed profession. It's recognized by the Board of State Health. But they have very limited billing codes, maybe three or four for pain management. Mm-hmm. Usually, they're not paid in full. So. Do you see that trend growing even more, spreading out further into the Western um, medicine practices per se? Or do you think it'll be like a niche market? Oh, absolutely. I think it's it's a trending market um, and it will continue to grow. I have a course I just finished. I looked at some healthcare stats where 30% demand for alternative medicine by 2025, um, threefold. Um and it's everything from massage therapy to acupuncture to Chinese medicine to herbal therapy, Reiki healing, excuse me, every every bit of alternative medicine is great demand because even for me as a private practitioner, holistic nutrition, the demand is, is there. I have people who say, I do not want to, and the age ranges from geriatric population all the way down to newborn. I do not want to take the medication. I do not want to, I do not. And it's really hard to work with some of the more chronic cases. You know, we have more higher level intervention. But everyone, I think at this point, 
understands that there is an alternative, whether they really understand what that alternative is or not, the quest and demand and the scratching and desire means that there is endless opportunity. As I said, we have to remember alternative, just a key word for the real medicine. Okay, cool, cool. Thousands of years old. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so let's get into it. Now, the first time I ever heard of CMOS, <laughs> I think for most people, I was watching uh, Arsenio Hall. I saw Left Eye on there. She was like, CMOS, man, it's got 92 of the, uh, uh, you know, the whatever the body needs. And I was like, what the hell is this? And this is, mind you, just, you know, just a few years back for some of us uh, that are a little older. I was 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did you get directly involved and to the point where you are pretty much like, <laughs> the Tony Montana of CMOS was this part of your plan? Yeah, well, we can we can go back a little story here real quick. So this goes back to my dad's side. Uh, again, being from the Virgin Islands, Irish moss, the terminology, CMOS, the terminology, this, this seaweed was widely used in the Caribbean islands, most of the Afro-Caribbean islands, in the late 60s, mostly early 70s and 80s, as an aphrodisiac. Okay. I remember in age 8, age 9, in my grandma's kitchen in New Jersey, my dad would be bringing back bags of his stuff from the islands and showing my uncles how to make this to basically be for fertility, for an aphrodisiac. This is how we originally saw it. It was a punch, if you will, or a very heavy nog or a shape because it was usually made with cream. But I can, you know, give you a fireside chat on this. And that's that's really how the exposure came to me. It was something that was used in the paternal side for vigorosity, reproductive health for male, male fertility. So at what point did you say, okay, there's a market, I mean, a, a, a pretty big market for this. And then at what point did you decide to say, okay, this is what I'm going to focus on? Or is that, is, or is CMOS your main focus? Or just is just one of your focuses as far as the uh, the health and nutrition it's it's one of my primary i don't think it's the primary but it's one of the primaries maybe now because of um, what we have going on in 2020 with the trend of health and alternative medicine but for me it's really um dynamic it's value to saying hey i understand what it is and i want to know more but at the time of understanding i had limited resources i wasn't studying at a college level but i knew there were answers there i just didn't know where and through the research and being able to dig a little deeper um and i'm a research nut but by doing that i was able to come across things that opened my eyes to say okay wait a minute this this is nothing new. there's a seaweed industry that's been around since the 60s you know and it's in part of cultures and cultivating for growth around communities which are in very very low uh, economic status to be able to generate some economics for trade and commerce honestly okay. so that's where where i saw initial uh, understanding and you know the research said hey there's nutritional analysis there's economic importance and then i said okay let me, let me, <laughs> i need to dig a little deeper okay cool now it's okay can we can we honestly say it's it's become trendy to a certain extent does that bother you because with trends come um I guess uh, what I want to say, people have uh, ideas of what they think it is. So, you know, some fallacies may pop up, some truths may pop up. Tell me what fallacies have you seen in, in, in increase that people tend to believe because of the, pop the rising popularity of CMOS? It's, it's, it's quite a bit. And yeah, there's, there's a trend right now. I'm still honestly trying to figure out, you mentioned something earlier, you said you saw Arsenio Hall. And that triggered some memories. Uh, but now today, I'm really, you know, it's amazing. I have people say, hey, hey, Congo, I was in the drive-thru and they had a sticker on the menu for CMOS. Yeah. And, you know, I honestly lay in bed at night and I think um, because I'm very mental, mentality-based and spiritual being, you know, what is the mentality of the people where, and of course, you know, word is the best form of information, just word of mouth. 
And uh, I think that spread like wildfire as a result of this word of mouth. But somebody somewhere understood something like me. I'm not the only one in the world who has understood. I mean, there's great marine biologists out there, you know, who go deep into understanding the microbiology of seaweeds. And uh, they said that, hey, you know, it's like making a claim. We say in school, you have to back a claim, but there's no claims to date that I've seen. Hey, this stuff, you know, it kills bacteria. Let's just say that. Mm-hmm. And we're in a so-called pandemic. Everybody's looking for something to kill something. You know, we talk about viral bacteria, antiseptic. Wait a minute. What, what do you mean? What are you talking about? I thought this thing was just loaded with minerals. So that's where the big concern for me came. I came into social media in 2016. Prior to that, I had a ton of knowledge on CMOS, a ton of information. It just wasn't meant for me to be in a position to expose that yet. I was, I guess you could say, deep in research. (laughs) And uh, I basically began to open up with a little social media and sharing bits and pieces of information. And even as I initially shared, there was a lot of false information I was sharing because of what I believe, not being able to go back and say, okay, yeah, this is in true fact, because majority of it was just familiarization, identification. You know, we're talking about a culture, aquaculture, marine biology, billions. <laughs> if we could drain the ocean, billions and billions of plants on there, species of algae, I should say, not plants. So there's been, you know, big demand centered around what is the biggest myth of sea moss that you wish would kind of go away at at this point so the biggest one was i think it goes back it's it's the original uh you mentioned it earlier you said hey you saw celebrity lisa left on this thing's got i remember her saying 92 out of the 103 elements that the body needs to function i remember that shit like I'm taking notes, okay? <laughs> no, because it was weird because I'm sitting here like, when she when she said it, she was so right and exact. I'm like, well, hell, I'm not going to question this woman. She knows that. Apparently, she knows what she's talking about. So is, is that's not the case. No, that's called effective advertisement, or okay. I like this greenwashing as now, unfortunately. And it's centered around alternative health. It's, it's been that way, uh, unfortunately, because there's a mystism about alternative medicine and herbalism and the things we can't see and how they work in the body. So it, it brings in this fanciful thought process we call a placebo effect, which is 30% effective, by the way. 92 minerals, 102 minerals. Now, even this year, somebody made claims of 150. And, you know, I, I study at the University of Everglades and associated with U- University of Miami. I work with naturopaths. I work with chemists. I work with physicists. Like, I have resources, and I, I, I wouldn't dare, would not dare even pose that question on campus. That's how embarrassing it is. But I had to take myself out of that mind, collegiate mindset. Okay, say, so let's go out to the streets. Let's go to the slums. You know, let's go to the very, very end parts of America and see them in town mm-hmm. and try to understand that. And I said, ah, okay, I get it. 92, well, what are we talking, 9,200 something? There's elements, there's the periodic table of elements, right, which is every single thing in the earth that naturally occurs or was synthetically man-made. So broken down in this natural form, a liquid, a solid, a gas. And this is where I'm still at before I come up with the book. Somebody thought it was cool to say, well, you know, if if this algae, uh, if I say for whatever reason it has everything in it that's in that periodic table elements it must be good that was the mentality of the people in the 80s when this became cultivated when it was when it was being farmed there was no other specific documented group of people utilizing um, algae for nutritional mm-hmm. purposes beside food industry mm-hmm. you know prior to the early 1900s so the 92 you know, mineral thing is just common sense. If you have some understanding of chemistry and biology, you understand there's minerals, there's elements. Like I said, liquid solid gas. You've got radioactive things in the earth, you know, like plutonium. You've got mercury. You've got these carcinogenic, what we call non-alkaloidal metals that are heavy metals that 
one drop in you will kill you in your bloodstream. Mm -hmm. So we have to stop and say, think, wait a minute. You know, and that's that's the occurrence I had like a couple of years ago. 92, what? Wait a minute, that can't be right. I even used to have, have that advertised on a paperwork that I sold with a product. And as I learned, you would see I begin to blacken out certain elements. I said, no, gold's not in there. Vatmium's mm -hmm. not in, cadmium's not in there. Wait a minute. We gotta really see what's going on because now as I'm going through nutritional studies at the university and understanding biology, a little bit more about the gut biome and the health of the human body from an alternative perspective, mm -hmm. I'm starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together a little better and say, wait a minute, that's, that can't be the case. Now I need to go investigate what is the chemical composition? What is the biological compos composition? What is any assay test done on these red algaes, but first I need to be able to properly identify them. I can't just say that one, well, let me Google that one. Good luck, we didn't have Google in the 70s and 80s. So that plays a big role now, you know, with the, the internet era, being able to take things and create whatever we want, literally. Even today, as I look, and I, and I, I a few years ago was more in a quest for discovery of what this is what this algae is or these algaes because there's thousands of them there's thousands of algaes in this class in this family we call the red rhytophyte algaes what is the composition and what i discovered was there they are very nutrient nutritiously dense to the human body to fish to invertebrate but we have to know what a species is to understand the composition they're similar some have high sources of iodine which a lot of people who suffer with poor iron absorption or endocrine function health could benefit from that in an alternative perspective to taking some type of uh, artificial hormone. You know, so we, we saw a benefit there is these things called antiviral compounds that induce uh, cytomes, which are our white blood cells to grow and be released from the spleen and engulf foreign objects or engulf foreign enzymes or foreign pathogens, bacteria, virus, staph, anything. That gel, most people don't know, <laughs> is the same gel that sits in the Petri dish in the laboratory. And that's what they put virus on. And that virus does not move or proliferate through the materials because of the antiviral activity. We grow mold on those. They're called agar plates. You can Google it. Agar essays or agar is another form. Gallium is a species of the red class. And they were originally discovered for that gel strength, mm -hmm. the strength of the gel being able to um, gel the texture that was primarily used for food production in the 80s. So when we were preparing for commercialization, when we were preparing for um, the packaging and preserving of food, the whole study, and this is why I say we have to do the research because the information is there. The, the studies have been conducted. Um, you know, I'll give you one reference. Journal of Science, Food and Agriculture, right? That was like from 92, volume 12. In that study, I found in 2016, I shared with a couple of other alternative practitioners through social media. And I said, hey, look, this is it. We found, you know, we found the gold and it was a sugar. That's specifically in one of the species. It's a, a sugar known as galactose. Um, it's a milk sugar that's only found in, in mammals that produce when they have babies. So a mother would have it in her breast milk, a cow. But that sugar is very important for brain function and cognition. That's the only time we get it in, in addition to glucose. So I found out that through the research, I found one of the species we call Chondrus crispus was very rich in this galactin sugar. And I shared it with people. And then I further found out that when that sugar is heated and processed through this research in the Journal of Food Agriculture Science, it was starting to cause gastrointestinal disorders. Mm -hmm. So fast forward 2016, uh, we lost a great elder who promoted the use of this. And I think this is where a lot of people got the 92 things because that's where a lot of the whole um, phrases around the elder who who promoted the use or maybe introduced a lot of the people in the conscious alternative black community to um, so-called 
Simons. And I went to a, uh, a lecture, if you will, that was in honor of him. And it was about seaweed. And I let the people know, I said, hey, this, you know, no one knew me. This was December 2016. Nobody knew who I was and probably not much. But I said, hey, we don't cook this stuff, number one. I was just throwing some pointers out there. And two, the reason we don't do it is because I was reading where the FDA was showing how people were getting ulcers as a result of using the processed carrageenan. The study showed carrageenan. Now, carrageenan is a uh, it's a sugar polysaccharide that is found in the red class algaes not just in one species it's in quite a few of them and most cultivation of red algae is to extract that out carrageenan is used as a binder of filler in the food industry it's in a lot of alternative um, plant-based products vegan products uh, hot dogs ice creams gels yogurts puddings you name it that carrageenan extract has to be processed with alkali. Okay, so we understand that's a um, high pH. And when we take that high pH base, if you will, and process it, it creates a chemical reaction that irritates the mucosal lining of the gut, which is IBS, IBD, ED, um, uh, irritable bowel disease, ulcerative colitis, you know, and a lot of people, I was thinking back to when we grew up in the islands and even in here in the States and making, and I said, wow, that's how we do it. We, we cook this stuff, you know, and that's what the research, the research shows it being heat processed for the extractions of carrageenan. But now there's more than one study out there that shows, and there's still clinical trials that are going on to see the effects in some cases. And this is very unique. And this is why I say case by case in alternative medicine, in some cases in Japan, they've used these um, gel, agar gels, to help reverse those processes, actually in um, bringing more hydration into the lower colorectum. So this is like right before our unprocessed food. The processed food is coming out for digestion. It helps to lubricate uh, the mucosal and the intestine, and that's people who suffer with all kind of, you know, constipation and polyps and everything. So it, it, it uniquely, you know, uniquely used and understanding the species and, and how it was extracted, if it was if it was extracted. That's just one aspect, but there's, there's much more, you know, something out of the ocean we have to first be concerned with contamination. Well, let me ask you this. Do you lean more towards the red algae? Because I, I, I see that, or, I, I, or I, am I, if I'm wrong. And if you do, why the red as opposed to the others? Yeah, so you have, what, three classes, green, brown, and red. Yeah. Um, a lot of the greens we eat, we see that in the Asian culture. I lean a lot to the red because that's where I've done most of my research at. Um, and that's where we see most of the antibacterial, antifungal, and medicinal properties. Most of the culinary properties of seaweeds are found in the greens and the browns. Now, the browns, like, for example, bladderwrack, fucus vesculosus, is a great source of iodine. Uh, early 1900s, this was used to help people... Um, prevent goiters or cases of uh, hyperthyroidism. Um, that's our main metabolite, iodine, for being able to make thyroxin for the thyroid plant. Another thing, too, I have to say this is a safety precaution as a practitioner. Is there's so many people who promote the use of the red algae sea moss, for example. If you have an endocrine disorder, you should be very cautious of using red algae because of that high iodine content. Um, what it can do is it can excubrate a condition and make it worse. It's already bad. The body is producing excessive enzymes and it's attacking itself. That's an autoimmunity. That's what a thyroid disorder is. It's an autoimmune disease. Underlying cause, right? Alternative. Mm -hmm. So iodine being introduced in cases where there's too much, it keeps the brain from making the TSH. And it says there's already enough. And we have all the symptoms, all the symptoms we are. So one of the things I do, you know, recommend people to make sure you have no underlying issue, with endocrine, thyroid, mostly mostly women, but it can affect men as well. It's very important because one little bit can throw you off. I even have a client right now I'm working with who's a registered nurse, you know, and, and this is a this is a case study, a prime example. Uh, but it's important. It's important because I see the promotion. 
great, great for thyroid health. Yes, in case of, you know, a hypo, you know, there's, it's a balance. There's two different type of conditions that we, we need to be familiar. I'm not a physician or doctor. I'm a certified nutrition, but we have to understand that, especially if we're talking about this for nutritional use. That's very important. But the reds, again, like I said, there's more research done on them uh, based on use for uh, consumption, primarily nutrition worldwide. And then clinically, we see a lot of the antiviral acti- antiviral activities. But there's, there's, there's so many of them out there. I mean, like I said. Uh, Interesting. Okay, so here's the question I, I want to ask. To me, this is the elephant in the room. Because <laughs> you know with, with our people, when we promote um, homeopathic, natural ways of, of healing and stuff, the conglomerates will come in and swoop. Mm-hmm. And I mean, companies like Monsanto. Mm-hmm. Um, are you worried about how, because when wife will get a hold of something, they, they, they get it and they corrupt it, change it to something else. Have you seen that? Are you seeing that right now? Or is it still too new for them to be like, okay, well, we're going to wait and see before we swoop in for the kill? No, that's a, that's a great question. And I'm glad you asked that because I don't know where I would else be able to give an answer. Have you heard? <laughs> uh, it's already it's already there. It's already there. A lot of it's because you've got a society who has organizations and institutions who has the funding to do the research, mm-hmm. whereas we really don't have that equivalency. We have, but we don't have the equivalency or maybe the amount of experience. So there's a, a big uh, gap in competitiveness. So that's understood already. So with that being understood, I can tell you as a small business owner, I've already seen what we call white label marketing for this so-called thing already. So people are, you know, I I said something today. I get a little beside myself because I'm real big on facts, but there was a promotion for capsules and they added another herb to it and said, hey, you know, this capsule is everything. And I did the math as a nutritionist. I said, you have to take about 50 of those things to get any nutritional value from it. It's a great marketing pitch. Mm. Um, but what it, you know, what it was was when I went to look at it, it had great, pretty labeling. You know, it, it had all the, the pointers to be able to, but, you know, for me, these are red flags. And every, it had everything there to say, hey, you know, I, I, I know what this is. This is what you want. These are the people who are using it. Here are the testimonies, you know, whether they're paid for or not. But it's already there. Um, there's a couple of natural paths uh, that I know who don't practice, but they have businesses built around uh, consulting and then prescribing kits. And this year, one of the kits was a red a red seaweed tincture. I can't remember. I can find it. I have it in my notes, but it was a red algae um, similar to a, a grossolaria or conjus, which is what we speak of, the sea moss. And they had this with some other things like zinc, you know, which we understand helps boost immune, some vitamin C, I think, and it was like $200. And when I saw that, because I understand the power of this natural path and how long they've been around since the 80s, that right there already told me, I said, okay, you've got a lot of work to do. You know, um, it's not going away. We are already behind the other community who's big in this market or has the control is the is the Asians. Interesting. Okay. That's where the industry is or originated most of it. Indonesia, Micronesia, Polynesian. A lot of these South Pacific islands started the cultivation process. A lot of the uh, universities in England and Britain funded the research to go into those warm tropical waters. Mm-hmm. It's like the Canadians did it for the Caribbean, and this is how it got introduced in, for us in the 60s and 70s. These were research projects. So basically, when you cultivate, you're competing against oligarchs for the most part. Yeah, they, they well, you have like now cultivation for sustainability, mm-hmm. um, which is really big for me as an herbalist. I'm real big on that uh, because we have so many things in danger right now. A lot of things took a decade, two, three, de- even in the 60s. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. The few species that were spoken of, the specific species, have all mutated. They do not exist today. 
Um, red algaes mutate based on their environmental conditions. A, sunlight. Two, tide. Three, water temperature. So as soon as I see somebody say, hey, man, I got this purple from the warm water. Eh, that color doesn't come from warm waters. That's a cold water algae. Okay. Hey, I got this cold water algae from eh, that doesn't come from that part of the world. That naturally occurs in tidal interchanges in warm tropic conditions because we understand the characteristics. Because first, we positively identify the species. So we identify the species, which takes time. That's with pictures, that's with going out in the field, that's with going to the universities and the marine labs and looking at the slides. And then we look at the characteristics. We get familiar and then we say, okay, what tests, what assays, what research has been conducted? And then that, that's familiarization. You know, there's so many, but yeah, I mean, you have cultivation because of sustainability and some of it, you know, it's not meant for consumption. It's just meant primarily for research purposes to be able to see, okay, when we compare and contrast or we simulate, you know, an environmental condition, what would happen to prevent <laughs> extinction? Well, let me ask you this. Are you worried about the dangers of over-cultivating? Yeah, we, in, 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 we already have it. Okay. Um, it's already there because of demand it's because of world population even with you know I, nutrition is what i do when we look at produce the same thing you know people get wrapped on hybrid and gmo and hybridization and so you have to focus on gmo and not hybridization everything is hybrid i don't care you're not eating your ancestors fruit or you would be spitting out seeds with broken teeth like literally everything has been hybridized to be consumed for our adaptation Literally. So cultivation, same aspect. You have the demand, but what happens is we already know quality decreases. You know, you, you have an increase in demand, quality decreases, and then you have risk for um, bacteria infection, which is cross-contamination and processing and handling. Um, you get uh, sometimes suboptimal. They have grading systems they use. So you could have one species growing four different locations around the world mm -hmm. because, right, we have different water temperature, different currents. It's going to look a little different. Even though it's the same identified species, I can say, hey, you go grow that in, in Indonesia. I'll grow this in the Pacific Islands and somebody else. And they're all going to have some, you know, different looks. That results in confusion in the marketplace. And what happens is a lot of the... Um, the producers who do you know large scale production end up not purchasing and they'll you know it's the same thing but they'll purchase what they think is you know an alternative or they'll get a lower bid on something because of market market change and gotcha. it ends up with somebody who doesn't need it and they you know we have what we have now everybody's selling it mm -hmm. like that's the majority of things being sold i can tell you right now and not meant for human consumption Okay, that was my next question. So basically, real versus fake or real versus store-bought. So should people stay away from store-bought CMOS? So here's, here's what we have. We have the terminology. I want to make a little clarification. We have wildcraft naturally occurring in nature. Okay. And then we have cultivated. Or what some people, it, it burned me up. I heard pool. Oh, that's pool CMOS. Go look up what a salt pool is. That's at the bottom of the ocean where you have like a salinity. Nothing like you think, but anyway, it's cultivated. And the cultivation occurs in the Caribbean islands and the Pacific islands because the government is giving incentive for these farmers to keep that going, to bring in commerce, to, to do trade with other countries like big old USA or China. Um, that majority majority this is what i've seen in antigua has to go through some testing it has to go through some uh department of health to say yeah this is fit for human consumption meaning that it may have got third-party testing or it just may have met some standard according to the country a wildcraft that we might go pick up off the beach or a seaweed farmer might be getting from a, a bay that they have no control over it's probably going to have a lot more of the nutritional content. And this is, we, we, 
I don't want to say we can't prove it, but there's no case studies that that are doing this. And this is what I encourage everybody who's in CMOS to start getting into if you really want to make case points is to start setting up the ability to prove these case points. Nutritional value between cultivated and wild harvest. The concern with the wild harvest, the con is that um, we have water that's contaminated. And what most people don't understand is that algaes, most single cell organisms, they have the ability to absorb radioactive material, especially the red algaes. That's part of their biological process to adaptation for life, okay? I don't know if that radiation was the result of something coming and hitting the earth. I don't know what, I, I don't know, but you know, I will fail in my study, but they have this affinity for radiation. And, you know, even when we had Fukushima plant, the seaweed in this region is off limits. You can't touch that. So when that happened, the Japanese are already looking in Micronesia and, and the small Philippines. Hey, we want to buy this one. We want to buy that one because we need to cultivate our food source still. Mm -hmm. So you have that con where contamination can be there. You know, now, okay, is a, a company going to go and do the third-party testing? And I can tell you right now it's expensive because third-party has to test each thing individually as a cost. You want to test for mercury? Okay, that's one test. You want to test for copper? That's one test. You want to... So imagine doing a 92 mineral test. Yeah, that's, that's over. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> so there's no governing body in regard, because you know most agriculture... Got the FDA, or, uh, you got the EU. Is so. Is there a governing body specifically for sea moss cultivation in the United States? No, in some countries, yes. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is Grenada. They okay. just this is in the past few years, and this is because of the commerce value it is. But as far as the farming economics behind it. It will go back to a lot of the research I've seen, which is based in the Philippines, uh, Malaysia, Micronesia. And these are, you know, go back to the 60s. A lot of the, the, the reports are irrelevant, but a lot of what the government, I, tell, I will tell you this, a lot of what the government bodies do have are restrictions, meaning you can't go into the ocean right. and pull stuff out. Yeah. Um, and that that's another one I have to make a point because I see people, you know, they're on vacation, they got the school fins. They scooped up some slime off the bottom and they're telling people, and I'm like, wow, you got to cut that out. Uh, that's not how that's not how it works. That's not how it works, you know. Okay. I haven't to date in the last days to be people who will do that. You know, big, big, big million social media account followers. And I'm asking you, show me your divers pulling this off the rock because why am I asking that? I understand the growing conditions. One, it doesn't grow in that warm of a water. Mm -hmm. Two, you don't die for it because it grows in rocky shoals, so ten to twenty feet max. And three, you're just not you're not you're not there's no transparency. And that, that's important when we talk about botanicals, herbs it, it these things have an affinity for taking things from the earth, even mm -hmm. if they're not meant to be there. And if you know we're not conscious enough we can do more harm, we can do a lot more. Before I wrap this up, CMOS mm -hmm. is not cheap. The prices I've seen, exorbitant. Do you see the price, the, the value, does the value match the current price? So no, that okay. I almost, my mouth almost went wide when you said it's not cheap. In fact, it is very cheap. Um, I think what's happening is people are putting like more than 30% markups on processing right. and because okay. we're trying to get finished products. Okay. Unless you have these people who are pushing off wholesale options, which are just acting as a middleman for you. But literally, literally, me, you, we can get on, you know, WhatsApp, find a, a Filipino guy right now, mm -hmm. it's nine o'clock, maybe in three more hours, yeah, he'll be up and they'll be ready to ship you a, a, a container, a Conax. And usually you're not getting less than 600 kilograms, a quarter Conax, a shipping container, mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe 2000 okay. American dollars. Okay. Yeah, I get really upset. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, you, 
man, it's, it's like, you know, when Whole Foods gets something, it's like, you know, it's in Whole Foods, man. I got a, what, a vitamin shop? It's like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm going to pay an arm and a leg for this stuff. And then yeah. you know that, of course, as as the consumer, you think the high, the more expensive it is, the better it is. And that's that, you got that whole mind, Jedi mind trick as well, too. Let me ask you this. Um, how to properly prepare it. Does that make a break the usefulness of it? Yeah, for nutrition, that's important. Um, most most cases, so it depends on the species. I'll, I'll give you an example, the Grassolaria, a.k.a. sea moss. Okay. So this gelatinous, stringy, brownish-red, uh, spaghetti-like substance. Depending upon sourcing, like I said, there's grades. So you may get some that has like a lot of debris in it. You may get some that's pristine, clean. It has to be rehydrated. Mm-hmm. It has the ability to retain its water and weight up to five to ten times by volume. So hydration to bring it back to size. And then usually once it's clean and hydrated, that's it. It's up to you. Literally, it's up to you depending on how you was. What do I mean? Okay, I get my culinary scissors. I have a warm bowl of, of, of garlic broth. And I start cutting the fronds that I've hydrated. Okay. Uh, most people do smoothies. Um, you know, I have the other species, the, the conscious crispus. They're like little leafy lettuce, rubbery fronds, the characteristic of the, of the plant. I'll, again, soak it in water, slice it thin, kind of like little strips of, of squid, and I'll layer that into a green salad, along with other things like nori or dulse. And, I mean, there's endless possibilities, but this is common in Asian culture. And then you got us here on the Western world, you know, where we're making these fruit smoothies and all kind of things. It's not necessary. And key, I, I really, the deal breaker for me is the heat. Okay. Um, and, and because when you heat it up, because the majority of it is a proof of a polyunsaturated fatty acid. So this is a fat, just like avocado seed or a hemp seed or a walnut oil. Right. It behaves or it reacts under heat. It changes its molecular structure. Fat is hydrogen molecule along chains, right? Mm-hmm. When you put heat, you break the chain open. They break the chain, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that deposits is, is that's the LDL, right? That's high cholesterol. Yeah. Okay. So that's one. The other one was the study where we talked about when we make a carrageenan, which has to be processed through heat. When we have that, we get the gastrointestinal disorders. You know, so there's two things right there that say, hey, look, stop, cut it out. You don't have to heat it. I think that whole concept came from the research and uh, traditional preparation methods because okay. we didn't have blenders. You put that into a macerator, a blender, a, you know, and it's the gels because they have a gel strength. They have a iota value, we call. The only thing is that the preservation of it is compromised because most people don't understand food safety. So that same gel you make unheated is probably not going to have as much shelf life as the heated one because the sugars, the enzymes are still alive. Okay. And a lot of people cross-contaminate. You know, they take the same food. I saw people feed the dog and, you know, what's this growing in here? Okay, well, it's going on the top because that's where the contamination is. It's a reason why it doesn't grow in the center. You know, try it. Do, you know, get you some, make it, put some back, some bread mold on there. And it'll coat that thing, but never destroy the inside. And that's agar. That's agar for you. Gotcha, gotcha. My man, um, if people wanted to place an order for, for their uh, for moss, um, chop yourself out. I've been posting your, your website in the chat, but please, you know, if people want to um, reach out to you, um, how long are you, do your orders usually take? Do you ha- Okay, do you have logistic issues as opposed to a bigger company because you're smaller because you're sm- smaller and independent no so i don't have any logistics issue at all i do promote small custom batch everything that i have available is through a third party etsy shop okay for the purpose of legalities the preparation is usually a week turnaround or five business days okay that's to prepare the product if you're getting a finished product the reason that is is because by law and this is going to blow a lot of people out of the water. If you're making, in, at least in my state, and I know it's in like 49 other states, if you're making anything that's going inside of somebody's body and selling it, mm-hmm. it's got to be done in a licensed FDA inspected facility. 
I don't own one of those. So what we have are these things called public kitchens, kind of like right. the, the catering though. I have to go there, prep, put these things in bottles, batch code data, and bring them back to house bottle. My week turnaround is about five business days. Um, I got five star reviews. You can go to my website, natureroots.com. There's links there to take you to the Etsy shop. I'm not going to give you all of them, but once you're at natureroots.com, there's my blog. There's a podcast. I have three hours talking about um, sea moss chronicles. I've got other topics I talk about, other botanicals, nutrition, alternative medicine. I've got a 21-day meditation challenge for people that want to go through lifestyle change, basic simple things. But there's a link there to get you into the Etsy shop. And I encourage people who want to know you don't have to go there to buy. You can go learn because I have on most of my product descriptions about a research paper's worth of information. Um, one of the things that really hurts is when people email me or directly message me questions that I've spent countless hours researching. And I, said, I know it's in there. That's on page five. It's like line number four. Why? Like, did they not catch it? Right. I have an appointment. But I encourage people to go and read the information I have. It will stimulate your mind. Eventually, I will have references on all the products. Some of them have them, but references to where I'm making the claims from, which is what we do as professionals, medical alternative medicine. And that's what allows a person, not for me to say, hey, you got to do this, but here's the facts. Here's what happened in vitro with a person like you. Now you can go make a decision what's best for your body. Gotcha, gotcha. My man Congo, I I am so appreciative. Oh, uh, someone had a question about your thoughts on moringa powder. Moringa powder? Uh, well, I mean, it's great. What is, is any specific concern? I use it. Um, you know, it's a it's a superfood, if you will. Um, it's a great source, basically amino acid. I've used it in prenatal capsules for some of my clients. I use it when I'm fasting. It's got a rich source of um, macro and micronutrients. It's just great all around. It's, it's, it's a great all around superfood. Um, of course, anything powder, it has to be organic source. You know, if you ever want to go over that, we can do that in another episode. Oh, for that. sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, this ain't going to be one time thing. No, no, no. Because they're going to hound me and harangue me. Like, yo, we better bring them back. So I, I can't do anything once with these people. These people are savages. I tell you. Yeah, I understand. But that, that, that one is a critical topic sourcing. Even, you know, you mentioned I was going to say Whole Foods. 90%, 90% of the stuff on the shelves there is garbage. Um, I can literally go through and, and milk down and show you the companies who I call. They don't give COAs. You know, the protein powders full of lead, full of lead for the fellas, like those oh, Vegas sport trash. Don't even, like, there's some things, yeah, okay, you know, like, okay, I can't get it from the herbalist, but sourcing, quality, transparency, trustworthiness, that's key, key, key. We'll save that for part two, definitely. Um, before I let you get out of here, any la- any final words, my brother? I, I really appreciate the time. Um, I just hope that the people will take what I have and not just utilize it for what I'm saying, but expound to go and share and do their additional research. And if you're you're digging, you're hungry, say, so you know, I got to get this information, just just go to my website, naturemoose.com, go into the uh, podcast, go into the member section. You have to register, but it's free. And look at the references, look at the different case studies and start pasting those into your browser rather than pasting trendy words. And it'll carry you a lot further. You can even reach out to me. I'm, I'm very much, you know, easy to ask for uh, resources of information. I will make time. It may not be right away, but I will help you get the resources you need. So I want to thank everyone who you've invited who's come out to learn a little more the facts, breaking away from the fiction, a little about me. And uh, I like to come back and do some more centered around holistic nutrition and education. Well, I, I definitely plan to bring you back. I, as always, I love to learn, and, and I'm always you inform. You know, I get my fix, so I'm, I'm good to go. If I don't live to be a hundred, I'm gonna be mad at somebody. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, before I let everybody go and thank uh, Bonzi for the cash app, uh, thank Ronnie for the for the Bank of America. Um, yeah, so uh, like I said, I, I got to go back over this and take some notes over everything. But I definitely want to bring you back, um, you know, when your schedule permits. So I'm my platform is open to you whenever you need, whenever, whenever you're ready to come back, my brother. So uh, if anything else, I wish everybody a good night. Uh, me and Nick will be back in about 20 minutes. 20 minutes. All right, y'all have a good night. Peace. All right. Peace.